Thank you, thank you. Welcome, everyone. Come thou, almighty King. And we are grateful for our, for our children who uh, welcomed the, the King of, of, uh, of the world, the King of the universe, uh, on this Palm Sunday. And so thank you, children, for helping us to worship in that way as well. Greetings to everyone. We welcome you here on this Palm Sunday, and we uh, welcome our guests especially. You're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here this morning and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Uh, a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, I'd like to ask everyone to uh, remember the uh, attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out so we could have a record of your attendance. Uh, put your name and phone number, address, and Check the appropriate box on there, and especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, be sure to put your email address on there so we could uh, put you on the list for that. I have several things that are coming up this week. Uh, we are continuing our Lenten celebration throughout this week. Today begins Holy Week, and so it changes a little bit. Instead of having our, our Wednesday uh, Lenten lunches, we will be having a Lenten lunch on Thursday and again on Friday. On Thursday, it will be a Monday Thursday, which we will celebrate at Zion United Church of Christ, and that will be at 12 noon. And then on Good Friday, we will celebrate at Holy Name Catholic Church, also at noon. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. That begins early in the morning at uh, our, our sunrise service, which will be at uh, the prayer garden at Methodist Hospital. And so they hope you can be there for that and then come back here uh, for Easter to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord at our regular time here. After church today at 1 o'clock, uh, we invite all of our children, have a good number of children here today, we invite all of our children to come back for our Easter fest. There will be a uh, probably a Easter egg hunt and some games and fun times to to have, uh, but I don't think we're going to have the Easter egg hunt out there. It's kind of messy out there, but you know, there's one thing that can be said about our church. We are flexible. <laughs> uh, also, uh, you may notice that at the, at the table over here, uh, we have been signing people up for our church directories. Uh, we will be taking pictures for that on May the 1st and the 2nd. And so if you haven't signed up to, uh, for an appointment to have your photograph made, uh, please do so um, at the table over here. Or you can sign up online. You can go to our website, and uh, there's a link there that you can sign up online. Uh, also on Saturday, uh, we will be serving lunch at the Salvation Army. And... Uh, if anybody would like to volunteer for that, we need a few more volunteers to help. You can either see uh, Jerry Wagner or Christine Cornelius, and uh, we will uh, join together in uh, feeding God's people at the Salvation Army. It's great to be here with you folks on this special day to begin this special week, uh, Holy Week, here, well, all over the world. And it's, a, day, it's a, a time for us to reflect upon what God has done for us. We've been leading up to this all through the season of Lent as we've been journeying with Christ towards the cross. And uh, it's a time for us to reflect on our own lives and determine where we stand with God and see places that we need to work on on our, on our own lives or in our own lives uh, towards repentance and towards... Um, 
really and truly making Christ the Lord of our lives. It's great to share this time with you. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord. I'll remain standing and sing hymn number 
Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all their deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out.
Heavenly Father, we just come today with grateful and um, gracious hearts, hearts of thanksgiving. We are so thankful as a church family for the wisdom and courage that you have blessed us with to show others your love. And we just ask that you bless these tithes and offerings that are given with, with humble hearts. Amen. wonder if there is any pain which stays with us longer than the pain of being rejected. Uh, this rejection may come from our family or our friends or our colleagues or even our greater society. I heard about one older gentleman who was remembering his teenage years, and he said, back when I was a boy, we used to play spin the bottle, but we played it this way. We spun the bottle, and if, a, if it landed on you, the girls were supposed to kiss you. Or if she didn't want to kiss you, she could give you a quarter. <laughs> he said, by the time I was 18 years old, I had accumulated enough quarters to pay my way through college. 
Well, I guess a quarter's all right, but it's a poor compensation for a girl not wanting to kiss you. Fact is that it's hard to be rejected. There was a heartbreaking story in the Associated Press a couple of years ago about the plight of unwanted girls in India. You see, a part of the reason that Indians favor sons over daughters is the enormous expense of marrying her off. Marrying the daughters off costs a lot of money. Families often go into tremendous debt arranging for marriages and paying for expensive ceremonies and paying dowries to marry their daughters. But a boy, on the other hand, will one day bring home a bride and usually a large dowry as well. And the result of this phenomenon going on in their society these days is that there have been literally millions of female fetuses aborted in India in order to avoid this tremendous expense of marrying them off down the road. And this has caused a huge gender gap between the number of males and females being born in India, which in and of itself can cause uh, uh, tremendous social problems down the road. Time will tell. Some of the female babies who are born are treated with such neglect that they don't survive. And many of those who do survive are given the name Nakusa or Nakushi, which in Hindi means unwanted. Can you imagine naming a child unwanted? Can you imagine naming a child that? Activists tell us that, that this name gives these girls the feeling that they're worthless, that they're a burden on, to their family and to their society. And that's why one district in India has started conducting ceremonies in which Indian girls can officially change their names from Nakusa or Nakushi to whatever name they want to replace it. A name that will tell them that they are worthy and accepted. And so again I ask, is there any emotion more devastating than the feeling of being rejected? Especially by those who are supposed to love you. Well, Jesus knew what that was like. The psalmist predicted it when he said the stone that was rejected would become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. His own people rejected him. One who was closest to him betrayed him. Another denied him. And when he needed them the most, nearly all of his friends turned their backs on him. He knew what it was like to have those who once showered him with praise to reject him and even to shout, crucify him. So welcome to this beginning of Holy Week. This Palm Sunday, 2013. Now Palm Sunday is intended to be a day of celebration. On this day we remember how the people of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus as he entered into their city. You know the story. During this Lenten season, we have been journeying along with Jesus as he has been steadily making his way towards Jerusalem and towards the, the fate that awaited him there. 
And now he's almost there. He's almost in Jerusalem. He's right on the borders, right on the outskirts of town. And as he approached the small town of Bethany, he sent two of his disciples ahead where they would find a colt of a donkey which no one had, had ever ridden before. And he told them to untie the colt and bring it to him. And so they did. The disciples brought the young donkey to Jesus and threw their cloaks on his back and put Jesus upon it. But then notice what, what comes next. As he went along, the people started spreading out their cloaks in, in, front of, in the road in front of him. This was based on an ancient custom. You see, spreading clothing to carpet the pathway was a way to honor royalty. We read in 2 Kings 9 that when the people became aware that Yehu had been anointed their king, they hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Yehu is king! And so in that same spirit, Luke tells us that the people spread their cloaks out in front of Jesus as he rode the donkey into town. It's in John's Gospel that we read that the people also came out to meet him waving palm branches, which is a symbol of, of victory and rejoicing. And then when the procession came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, we're told that the whole crowd began to praise the Lord in loud voices, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you hear that? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They were ready to anoint Jesus as their King. But he did not come to be their king. He came to be their savior. Now this would have been a great place to end the story. Don't you think? This is one of those Star Wars type of endings. This would have been a, a happy ending right here if Luke would have just stopped at this point. Jesus was receiving the welcome that he so richly deserved. He had taught the kingdom of God faithfully. He had healed those who were sick or otherwise infirmed. He had set an example of, of living at its very best. And, and now he was being welcomed into Jerusalem as their king, their hero. What a great ending to a great story. But of course it was not to be. In his book titled The Last Week, all about Holy Week, Marcus Borg tells a, about another parade that was taking place on the other side of town. You see, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, was entering Jerusalem for this Passover feast as well. He did it every year. And, and, and he was entering into Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial horsemen and soldiers. But notice the contrast between the two processions. Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God while Pilate's procession proclaimed the, the power of the Roman Empire. Imagine this imperial procession arriving in Jerusalem, says Borg. 
A visual panoply of imperial power. Cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting off of the metal and gold. The sound of marching feet, the creaking of of leather, the clinking of bridles and the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the crowd looking on, some curious, some awed, some resentful. And Pilate's procession displayed not only the power of the empire, but also the theology of the empire. Because you see, according to this theology, the the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, but he was also the son of God. This pagan heresy began with Augustus, whose father was said to be the son of, of Apollo. And the inscriptions that they had on their coins referred to him as the son of God, Lord, Savior, the one who would bring peace on earth. After his death, he was portrayed as ascending into the heavens to take his place among the gods. So you see, Pilate's procession into Jerusalem embodied not only a rival rival kingdom, but also a rival theology. Pilate, on one side of the city with his soldiers and armor and horses and weapons, Jesus on the other side with his ragtag group of disciples, Dirty cloaks in the road and palm branches and a donkey. What a contrast. In many ways, Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem was a comic parody of what was going on on the other side of town. It was Jesus' way of saying, you can parade your power and your strength around as much as you want to. But in the end, it is humility that wins the day. So the stage was being set for an inevitable clash between the mightiest kingdom of the world, the Roman Empire, and the kingdom of God. And when that clash finally reached its climax, crushed in between the might of Rome and the will of God, was the broken body of the crucified Jesus. On Palm Sunday, April the 9th, 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to General Ulysses S. Grant of the Union Army at the Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. This surrender ended the bloodiest war ever fought on American soil. And then five days later, on Good Friday, April the 14th, 1865, America's most revered president, Abraham Lincoln, was shot and killed by John Wilkes Booth in the Ford Theater. It was Lincoln who wrote the Emancipation Proclamation that ended slavery in America for forever. It was Lincoln who, who wrote and delivered the, the Gettysburg Address. And Lincoln hated war, but he was drawn into this war between the states because he believed that it was the only way to save the nation. And then on Palm Sunday, the war was ended. Everything was wonderful. 
triumph, celebration, rejoicing. Then on Good Friday, Abraham Lincoln became the first president to be assassinated. Tragedy, sadness, grief. That's the way this last week played itself out for Jesus and His disciples. And indeed, that's the kind of world we live in. The triumphant end to a terrible war on Sunday and the tragic slaying of the leader who brought us through that war on Friday. One moment we're on the top of the world and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. And that's what happens when there's such a a clash between kingdoms. That's what happens when there's such a, a disconnect between what we expect and what is reality. Jesus was praised and acclaimed on Sunday but then He was crucified on Friday. How incredibly, it's incredible how quickly things can change. It's incredible how fickle people can be. It's amazing how short our memories are and how quickly people can change their allegiances to suit their desires. Didn't they know who this was? Didn't they they see what He had done? Didn't they hear what He said? Didn't He raise Lazarus from the dead? Didn't He amaze them with His simple yet profound teaching? Couldn't they sense that this was no ordinary man? He was their their Savior, their Messiah, their Redeemer, sent into the world by God to save the world from its sins. How could they miss that? How could they not know who He was? Well, it may have had something to do with what they expected of Him. You see, they expected something like the parade that was going on on the other end of town. They expected a Messiah who would ride into town in triumph, ready to lead His troops into battle against the other guys. They were expecting stallions and chariots and weapons ready to vanquish their enemies. They thought that the time had come when when Israel would be redeemed. But instead of all of that, they got a carpenter on a donkey talking about peace. Didn't Jesus know that leaders are supposed to project strength and power, not humility? How does He expect His kingdom to rule the world if He doesn't act and speak more forcefully? When you think about it in terms like this, it's really no wonder that Holy Week moves us so rapidly from, from triumph to tragedy. From Palm Sunday when they celebrate the coming of Christ to Good Friday when they hang Him on the cross. The expectations of the people had been dashed. They... Because what they wanted and what Jesus wanted was so different. And so some of the crowd in that short period of time, just five days, turned away from Him. And much of the crowd turned against Him. And the question that I have today is this. If that happened today, would anything be different? 
Would we welcome Christ into our community and into our family and even into our church? You know, it's not an easy question to deal with, but it needs to be asked because our expectations of Jesus may not be what Jesus desires. And we need to get that straight in our hearts and minds. Fleming Rutledge, in her book titled The Bible in the New York Times, tells about a woman in her church who would never come to church on Palm Sunday. She would never come to church on Palm Sunday. Evidently, in their church, they had a a tradition of reenacting the scene in Pilate's courtyard each Palm Sunday. And this woman, she just couldn't stand being asked to shout, crucify him, crucify him. I just can't do it, she explained. And Rutledge says, I always felt sad for her. She missed the whole point. She could have come to church every other Sunday of the year and she still would have missed the whole point. It was very important for her to think of herself as one of the righteous. But she could not confront her own darkness. And how sad that is if she only knew there is great power in the act of repentance. And there is. My friends, can we confront our own darkness? Can we confront our own need for repentance? Would we really welcome Christ into our world? Or or would we join the crowd and sing hosannas on one day and turn our backs on Him another? For you see, the kingdom that He proclaims is, is so radically different from the kingdom that most of us want. The things that we value are status and power and money and image and position and leverage over others. And how does that square with this humble figure, a carpenter riding on a donkey telling us to turn the other cheek and live at peace with others? It doesn't. And so we need to ask ourselves, who is our Lord? Do you understand what it means to say that Jesus is Lord? It means that we need to examine our lives and examine our goals and examine what it is that we're living for and ask ourselves, is this really the meaning of life? Or is there more? Are we really following Jesus or are we merely sitting back and admiring Him? Because that's not enough. My friends, Holy Week should especially be the time for us to reflect upon our lives and and to repent as we measure our lives against the life of Jesus Christ. Celebration and sadness. Triumph and tragedy. Palm Sunday and Good Friday. But here's what we must see today. And that is that the ultimate, ultimately the story of Holy Week is a story of triumph and tragedy and then triumph again. Not only because of Easter, but, but because of Christ's victory over sin and death on the cross. And that's why the cross is so precious to us. You see, it calls us to repentance 
but it also represents God's grace which covers all of our sins, even the worst ones. You see, God had the last word here. They cheered for Jesus on Sunday and on Friday they hung Him on the cross. But God took that cross, that symbol of death and hatred and rejection, and He turned it into a symbol of our salvation. So you see, it was triumph, and then tragedy, and then triumph again. And I thank my God for that final triumph, the triumph of Christ over sin and death. For you see, Jesus, who had been unwanted, rejected by His own people, lay in that lonely tomb. But as the first rays of the morning sun flooded the sky, God strode into that tomb and and, and brought forth His beloved Son and raised Him from the dead. And now Christ reigns at the right hand of His Father. The stone that the builders had rejected had become a chief cornerstone. That's what the psalmist said. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Now we are going to conclude our service a little different, differently than we normally do. Our, our new friend Rick Cox will come and sing a song um, titled Gethsemane from the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a very powerful song portraying Jesus' turmoil and, and temptation and doubt and foreboding as he faced his final rejection and ultimate cruel death. And then after the song, we will conclude with a Lenten reflection printed in your bulletin, a responsive reading. At the conclusion of that, we will extinguish the last candle of our Lenten season. The, the same candle, it's the Christ candle, the same candle that we light on Christmas Eve to commemorate Christ's birth. But today we will extinguish this candle to remember that Christ's life was snuffed out just as surely as this candle will be. At that point, the color on the table will be changed to black to signify His death. For Christ has suffered and died for us. And after the candle is extinguished and the table is changed, we will all leave in silence, in repentance, knowing that it was us who put Christ on that cross. Started then I was.
Let us stand and read our Lenten reflection responsibly. Now at the festival, Pilate used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during their insurrection. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas. Then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? He shall be crucified. Crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? 